Welcome to the third episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is called Exploring the Independent Broker-Dealer Model, a mix of freedom and support. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on wealthmanagement.com, as well as iTunes and other resources. The waterfall of possibilities for independent-minded advisors has expanded exponentially in the last number of years. And with that expansion comes for a lot of folks a greater level of confusion. Confusion for the unindoctrinated. My goal in the whole podcast series, as well as this episode in particular, is to walk you through the different flavors of independence, and in today's episode, focus specifically on the independent broker-dealer space. In previous episodes, we also talked about how independent one wanted to be, the notion that independence isn't one-size-fits-all. So in choosing the right route, again, do I want independence at all? And if I do, I need to be clear on just how independent I want to be. And what we mean by that is just how much support and scaffolding one desires. Do you want to be fully independent as an RIA? Or do you like the idea of being supported by a broker-dealer, a probably a more familiar model, but have the freedom to manage your own P&L and operations? So before determining that, it's important to understand the different models for versions of independence. That is to define the difference between the independent broker-dealer space and the RIA or RIA hybrid space. Let's begin by defining what an independent broker-dealer is. So registered representatives or advisors that carry a series six or seven are required by law to be registered with a broker-dealer. There are two different kinds of broker-dealers, a full-service employee-based broker-dealer and an independent broker-dealer. Broker-dealers generally maintain a fairly high level of control over their reps, but independent broker-dealers usually allow their reps much more control, flexibility, and freedom. Essentially, to be a 1099, to be independent and independent business owner and have control over their own P&L and operations. It's important actually to clarify and contrast an independent broker-dealer from a full-service broker-dealer, the likes of Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, UBS, Wells Fargo, etc. So an advisor who is a 1099 representative registered under an independent broker-dealer leverages the platform and technology of the broker-dealer, but the advisor has the freedom to manage his own overhead, marketing spend, and the entire P&L overall. Said another way, the advisor with an independent broker-dealer will have much more freedom and control than his W-2 counterpart at, at a traditional firm, but less freedom and flexibility than someone who's chosen to move to the RIA space. By contrast, the registered investment advisor, or what we refer to as the RIA, manages the assets of individuals and institutional investors 
and sits on the buy side of the investment field. They become a buy side advocate for clients, creating competition for price and service. In a later episode, we'll talk specifically and much more about the RIA space, but suffice it to say, it's important to understand the differences between independent broker-dealer and RIA. The RIA must register with the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, and any states in which it operates. Most advisors, especially those coming from the wirehouse world, what we refer to as the breakaway broker, the advisor leaving the wirehouse world or traditional brokerage model looking to go independent, are usually not entirely fee-based. They're almost always what we refer to as a hybrid advisor, one who has a business that's likely majority fee-based, but does some commission-based business, either C-share mutual funds, variable annuities, the 529 plan, etc., and does some accommodative commission-based business for clients that they don't want to get rid of. So what they need to do if, in fact, they go RIA and want to continue doing any amount of commission-based business is to run their commission-based business through what we refer to as a friendly broker-dealer. Again, a topic we'll review in our next episode. Let's focus today on the independent broker-dealer space. Let's start with who should choose an independent broker-dealer versus the RIA space and why. So one, those who want to monetize their business to some degree in the short term should likely consider the independent broker-dealer space versus the RIA space. Independent broker-dealers typically offer transition money as an incentive to move or be recruited anywhere from 25% upfront, and in some cases in the larger independent broker-dealers up to 100%. And there are incentives that typically the RIA custodians don't offer. Secondly, the IBD space, IBD again the acronym for independent broker-dealer, offers more cover or support for a breakaway broker. It tends to feel more familiar and therefore less overwhelming than the move to the RIA space. Three, those that are looking for an uptick in take-home economics or payout love the independent broker-dealer space because it's an opportunity to have much greater control over P&L, to pay for just the services that one needs and to run as lean and margin efficient or effective business as they'd like. Four, those who value a turnkey and fully integrated solution tend to love the independent broker-dealer space. Fifth, one of the things we hear a lot and a good way to think about the independent broker-dealer space is that it's familiar. It's a familiar broker-dealer world with an independent wrapper. Six, those who value a simplified and straightforward path to business ownership like the independent broker-dealer space because the independent broker-dealer pulls together in one package, if you will, all of the components 
that an advisor will need to rely on in order to run the business. The advisor then has the opportunity to choose the necessary platform components that work for them. And those components are anything from investment management models, CRM or database systems, performance reporting tools, and to provide them to the advisor in what can either be a bundled or a la carte package. Therefore, the advisors in the broker-dealer world, independent broker-dealer world, that is, avoid the challenge and the often tremendous time-consuming process of identifying, vetting, and integrating all of the necessary components to run an advisory practice. Seventh, those who do a good amount of commission-based business, like variable annuities, that can't easily or shouldn't easily be converted to a fee-based model, likely belong more in the independent broker-dealer world. Most importantly, the broker-dealer, and this is number eight, is responsible for the compliance oversight. And that's the single biggest reason oftentimes that an advisor will choose the independent broker-dealer world over the RIA space, where in the RIA space, the advisor is responsible for his own compliance, either handling it himself, hiring a chief compliance officer, or outsourcing it, versus in the independent broker-dealer world, where the advisor is ultimately responsible for compliance, but scaffolded and supported by the compliance department of the independent broker-dealer. So while it can be argued that advisors who affiliate with an independent broker-dealer have less autonomy than their RIA counterparts, and essentially that the independent broker-dealer is a bit more limited, it's a trade-off that a lot of folks are willing to make because the compliance process that is involved, the more onerous compliance oversight required in the RIA space, and the absence of significant transition money in the RIA space often makes people prefer the independent broker-dealer world. And again, that would be a trade-off that many advisors are willing to make. Because especially in a changing regulatory environment, especially since the inclusion of the DOL rule, the Department of Labor fiduciary rule that is, many advisors welcome leaving the interpretation and enforcement of the regulatory environment to the broker-dealer whose job it is to remain compliant and keep the advisor up to date. Said another way, the independent broker-dealer space can be limiting in the sense that the advisor is limited to the technology platform inventory of services, if you will, that the independent broker-dealer makes available to them. For sure, much less limiting than being at a full-service W-2 scenario broker-dealer, but still limiting in some capacity. So an advisor who is independent-minded typically will vet both the RAA hybrid space side-by-side along the independent broker-dealer space. Those looking for maximum ability to customize, to add unique or bespoke investment solutions, for example, or use a CRM or performance reporting tool outside the capabilities or the offering of the independent broker-dealer 
may often choose instead to go to the RIA space. So it depends, again, upon just how independent the advisor wants to be. To that end, we've actually developed a nine-point system to vet an independent broker-dealer and to help an advisor assess and make an ultimate determination about where they're best suited. So it's important to note that not all independent broker-dealers are created equal. There's a world of difference in terms of culture, in terms of number of advisors, in terms of how well capitalized, in terms of how they think about the advisor force, in terms of being publicly or privately traded, in terms of how they support things like succession planning and growth and operations, how high touch the client service model is, etc. And again, in a world where the waterfall of possibilities has become greater, it can be confusing, which is why we created this sort of nine-step process in order to vet, compare, and contrast. So whether this is about an exercise in determining whether independence is what you want and where you're best served, or examining your own broker-dealer and holding it to the same light or the same standards that you would any outside broker-dealer, this nine-point checklist can be helpful. So one, you can expect a robust platform with access to all of the financial and estate planning, trust, insurance, lending, and alternatives, et cetera, all of the capabilities that you've come to rely on in the traditional space, you should be able to replicate through your independent broker-dealer. The whole exercise of even thinking about a move is being able to replicate and hopefully better everything you are able to do for your clients. It's the notion of do no harm at a bare minimum. So the first step is to confirm that anything and everything your clients need, they will be able to have access to or you will be able to offer them no matter where you go. Secondly, you should absolutely expect best-in-class technology with the financial strength and commitment to continue to invest in and innovate in that technology. Three would be the sophistication, scale, and expertise to anticipate, to understand, and prepare for regulatory changes, whether it be the DOL rule today or anything else coming down the pike, so that you, the advisor as an independent under a broker-dealer, can relax knowing that you are being scaffolded and cared for. Four is support for business growth. Pretty important. And that growth should include support for both inorganic and organic growth. So organic growth, you know perfectly well what that means. Support in helping you to drive business, to drive more clients to you, to pick up more assets. Inorganic growth is support in recruiting or M&A, the notion of help in acquiring another business, merging joint ventures, etc., if that's a goal. Five would be practice management support to help maximize your business's efficiency and its profitability. Six would be succession planning assistance 
whether you are 30 years old with a 20 or 30 year runway or 50 or 60 years old with less than a 10 year runway, succession planning should be on everyone's mind because one of the major drivers about going independent is the notion of maximizing enterprise value at day's end, the notion of maximizing the value of the business. And businesses that have solved for succession are ones that tend to hold the greatest value. So your broker dealer should be well prepared to address your succession planning needs and issues and help you to identify a successor if need be. Seven would be prepared to offer best practices for wealth management and investment management represented by the ability to associate with and share thought leadership with like-minded individuals. The notion of synergy and community should be very important. You want to be in a community of like-minded individuals who can add value to your thinking. Eight would be fair and transparent economics, meaning it doesn't take a degree in rocket science to understand the comp grid, but that you understand exactly what it will cost to associate and what expenses you will incur that may not be included in the headline price. Nine would be an accessible, responsive, and knowledgeable support team that makes themselves available to you with answers that are meaningful and efficiently and effectively responsive. This is critical. We hear from advisors in the independent broker-dealer world a lot who are already in that world that especially work for the larger independent broker-dealers where the client service, the advisor as client, the service model is poor at best. And that can be tremendously troubling to have this independent business and not know that you, you are in the HOV lane to get the help that you need responsibly. Okay, so here's the bottom line. There are many independent broker-dealers, many, many independent broker-dealers, but only a handful of high quality and appropriate ones for you. The question we get most often then is why not just go to the highest bidder, meaning the broker-dealer that will offer the greatest amount of transition money and hopefully offer the greatest amount of take-home economics for the advisor. What I'd say to that is, while transition money is often very attractive, an advisor always needs to be aware that the more you get up front, the more you take up front, the less you get somewhere else. There's no free lunch. Another way to think about it is that there are levers in a deal. So the more you press one, the less you get of another. Typically, there is an inverse relationship between the amount of transition money you get and the ultimate take-home economics. An advisor needs to determine what's most important. Is it about getting the most amount of money in the upfront? Is it about maximizing take-home economics? Or is it a long-term play and going to the broker-dealer that's ultimately going to help you to maximize enterprise value at day's end? In order to be able to know that, an advisor needs to know the right questions to ask when vetting a broker-dealer. Actually, if you visit this episode's page on our website, we've provided some links, which you'll find helpful, I think, in the process. 
Just go to diamond-consultants.com, click on podcast, and select the page for episode three for more information. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to different versions of independence. In today's episode, we focused again mostly on the independent broker-dealer space, and we'll leave a more in-depth discussion about the RIA or RIA hybrid space for our next episode. It's worth noting, though, that most advisors considering independence will absolutely opt to vet both and many options, many different versions of independence including looking at some of the service providers that have entered the space. And again, that's a conversation we'll visit in greater detail in upcoming episodes. For now, I thank you for listening. I also thank wealthmanagement.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. I hope you'll join us for our next episode where we will explore the RIA space in more detail and talk more about how it truly differs from the independent broker-dealer world. Until then, I'd encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the Tools and Resources link for some valuable content. And if you're not already a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. You can always feel free to email or call me if you have any specific questions. I can be reached by phone at 908-879-1002 or email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please know that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And as we conclude, this is Mindy Diamond on Independence.